right everyone welcome back to 80s high the podcast that rolls the dice each episode to bring back those wonderful games movies books toys shows all the things you loved from that radical decade called the 80s i'm chris and i'm ben and this is 80s high ben good to see you again how's it going good to see you how's it going welcome back to this most radical of podcasts Mm. uh how's your week ben how's it going you know, I, I'm getting over a little sickness, as I think you know. So oh, yeah, that's so been, you know, it's been a struggle. I'm just waiting out the clock. I'm like, okay, let's get better. I got things to do. I got yeah. stuff to play and stuff to watch and places to be. Like, the weather's still not too bad. It's actually that nice zone of coolness that I love being outdoors. For and sure. It's still sunny enough here. So I'm like, I want to go outside. So <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm I'm so close. How about you? You know, but our classmates, you got to be thankful sometimes for those sick days because that's, you know, when you got to stay home from school being a little sick, like that's when you really got to mop up the pop culture. You just got to sit, yeah. you know, on the couch, hopefully. Binge away. Binge it away, watching TV. For me, it was prices, right? That was oh. what was on when you were home sick. I freaking loved that show. There was a lot of prices, right, when you're sick. And you never got to watch it because you were at school. 100%. But if you, you know, if you were a younger 80s kid, you, you know, you probably didn't have TVs in your room. So but it was a good time to catch up on your comic books, maybe. True. Uh, whatever you were, your Beverly Cleary binging in your room. <laughs> All those Ramona books. <laughs> All those Ramona books. Speaking of radical decades, we are today celebrating a holiday in our household because it is a decade oh. that our dog has turned today. Oh? What was once just a little eight-week-old pup that we brought home is now 10 years old today. Yay! He's an old man. I love it. <laughs> that's pretty old in dog years. That is a, that's an it's old guy. It's super. Late 17, right? That's 170 years in dog years. Is he He's... barking at the children to get off the lawn? Is he you know, kind of in that <laughs> stage of his life? Is he telling <laughs> old dog jokes, like He's... bad dog jokes? He's moved from cool teen protagonist in the movie to the principal. He's the oh, principal okay. now in right. the John Hughes movies. Yeah. Um, My no, favorite refrain of Mr. Belding. Hey, 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 what is going on here? Every episode, <laughs> hey, Mr. Belding. Hey, hey, What is going on what here? Is co- such a good uh, mediator. Oh, man. But that's all I have, which is good. Because well, you did watch Prey. I to follow up on last oh. episode between recording our first episode and the second one of season three, somebody got to watch Prey uh, again. Goodness. Spoiler free thoughts. Spoiler free thoughts, gang. I'll say something absolutely chock full of alien infused heresy. Mm. I'd say for me, it ties as the best. It ties with the Schwarzenegger film. I don't think that's far fetched at all. Actually, it is a rare. And if we. If we're not clear, if you didn't know, Prey is a prequel to Predator, the 80s classic Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. Was it Carl Weathers and uh, Jesse the Body Ventura? (laughs) It's such an amazing cast. It's such a muscle fest. It's hilarious. But um, yeah, what a surprising treat. I mean, it just does an amazing job of like every Predator movie is is a perfect chronicle of its era that it was shot in and written in. Like Predator Takes Manhattan. 
Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, my baby. Um, oh. It's scary again, but not in a jump scare kind of way. It's a slow yeah. burn, just like the original. It's beautiful natural scenery, just chewing mm. up every shot. The protagonist keeps it on edge because they're even more underpowered than Schwarzenegger was. No giant chain gun, no uh, bazooka, (laughs) flamethrowers and Um, all that. (laughs) It's just a great pace. It's beautiful. It's like well done. Uh, It was a heck of a good ride. Very fun. Definitely recommend it. I love your bold claim and I would would agree with it. I think it stands right up there. Certainly in the pantheon of Predator movies, it's easily one or two. Which I have extremely strong opinions of. Oh, man. But, um... The road to glory is paved in cardboard and die, as they say, for yeah. time immemorial. And we have a lot to talk about on this episode. Yeah, as we've been talking, I've been setting up the table. I've got all the pieces laid out. The cards are <laughs> shuffled. The decks are set. <laughs> the conditions are ready. We've read through the rule book. We're here talking this episode about 80s board games, all of those fun, exciting, classic board games that we love so much. But we can't do it in homeroom, can we, Ben? No, goodness, no. This is this room is only good for one good game, and that's table football, where you fold mm. up the triangle and flick it back and forth. Yeah, but we got to go get more serious down the hall. Okay, well, let's head on down to history and learn about where board games came from. Are you ready, Ben? Let's see. What's the fastest way? Oh, I found a chute. I'm going to take the chute over here to head on down the, the hallway to it. No, oh, that's fantastic. Well, thankfully, you didn't take the long shoot that took you down to Freddy Krueger's boiler room. So you, you took the right one. Thank goodness. This We have learned that this school over the first two years of our education is one full of trips and traps and oh my gosh! To make it to history class, one might even have to call it a hero quest. Oh. I'm just saying. Oh. To even tie make it in there. time. Yeah. Little, little tie and little throwback. You'll be sorry if you don't get there. Ooh, how many puns do you think we can squeeze into an hour and a half on here? I bet we can do a lot. More than our listeners want. I'll say that much. But. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so where did this all – how did this start? Where did this come from? How far back into society, into Mesopotamia did you go for the origin of board games? You're laughing, but I did go back to Mesopotamia. Oh As a matter God, of fact, you're laughing, but it's true. What? Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about, well, I want to set the stage. This might sound like we're explaining the obvious to everybody, but, you know, let's just assume we're starting from scratch. So what are we talking about when we say board games? Let's set the table. Let's back up a little bit. We're going to literally set the table. So what is a tabletop game, right? Tabletop games are games that are normally played on a table or flat surface. Now, that does include board games, which we're going to be talking about, but also card games, dice games, little miniature war games, tile-based games. There's a lot of different things. We're going to kind of use these interchangeably for this episode. Mr. 1%, who's got four legs and a flat board, can this be played on the floor as well? Is that permitted? Well, I did say a flat surface, so as long as... (laughs) I mean, you could play on a a ramp. I wouldn't recommend it. Things might kind of slide, (laughs) depending on the grade. How cruel to play these games on a ramp. I did specify a flat surface, so floor, obviously quite permissible. Just want to make sure I'm included. Good. Let's talk a little bit about some of the other specifics. So we're going to be talking a little bit about game mechanics. Mm -hmm. What's a game mechanic? So a game mechanics are kind of these rules that govern and guide a player's actions, as well as like the game's response to them. So sometimes you take an action, but there might be a response from the game or from other players. So the game mechanics are really what allow for people playing the game to have an engaging experience 
But Ben, this is an interesting caveat, not necessarily fun. And we're certainly going to talk about that because there are some games oh, and game mechanics that are not fun. Arguably, I would think either half or slightly more than all game mechanics do not result <laughs> in a good time for somebody. There could be a lot. So let's get more specific. A game mechanic could be that a lot of games have turns where I take a turn, Ben takes a turn, so forth. Dice, rolling dice, uh, drawing cards. You love rolling dice. That's one of your favorite mechanics. One of my favorites. Uh, movement of pieces, uh, bidding on something, a capture or eliminate mechanic. You could be laying tiles. You could be placing workers. Those are all different examples of a game mechanic that you might see. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, of course, there's rules that the do's and don'ts of the game. And then there are victory conditions. That's kind of like victory conditions control how a player wins the game. So what are the things that I have to do in order to say, I have won? Yes, right. So just some basics of board games and games. Again, we might be talking about these things. They're probably intuitive, but some of these things get a little bit confusing when you start talking about what's gameplay, what's a game mechanic, what's a rule, what are instructions, what are, you know, those kinds of things. So Ben, you mentioned Mesopotamia. Yeah. I have a question for you. What is the oldest (gasps) board game? Oh. If you could hazard a guess, if you could... Dig into your memory banks. What do you think is the oldest board game? So this predates Basilinda. <laughs> Basilinda is not the oldest. Not on the list. Didn't make the list. Uh, I'm going to go, well, ugh, I'm even nervous to hazard a guess that would have anything to do with die. Okay. It's just probably moving pieces along a grid, and I would have thought it would have been Egyptian, but I don't know the name of it. Can you name any games that you know of that you think are super old? Checkers is super old. Okay, Checkers is old. I think there's been a single game of Monopoly being played for about two centuries that no one's finished yet. Monopoly is indeed the oldest game. I knew it! (laughs) I knew it. What is it? What's the first game? Okay, well, we're going to work back to the oldest game. I want to start... We're going to talk about six games really quickly, and we're going to talk about the most recent. Okay. How far back do you think we're going to start? How many years ago are we starting, With the six oldest games? yeah. Ooh, I bet we're going to start at like 12. 12? <laughs> I mean, that's super gonna, far We're going to start at 84 AD. In, in, in honor of 80s high, we're going to start at 80 AD. So you're actually not super far off. So again, these ages are, uh, these are rough. They're based off of historical texts. They're based sure. off of interpretation of those texts. They're based off of research and all sorts of things. But we're going to go back to about 1500 to 1950 years ago. So nearly 2000. That would be fairly close to the years you mentioned. No, we're getting there. We're going to go to India and Afghanistan, current day, for Chaturanga. Chaturanga. One of my favorites. We might actually know today as chess. Oh, Chaturanga. Chaturanga. I like it. If you were to go back in time to ancient India, you'd see a lot of uh, similarities between Chaturanga and modern-day chess. It's a war strategy game, became very popular, and moved out through Eurasia. It went into China, went to Persia. It went to Europe in the 13th century. And by the 15th century, this is where we see one final addition, a new rule, if you will, to the game, which is the queen. Do you know what the queen's special ability is in this game, Ben? Well, the queen can go anywhere. Can move as far as she wants, right? 
Yeah, and a straight or diagonal line. So she can't go anywhere, anywhere, but she's definitely, she can move all over the board. And it's believed that this new rule came around the time of Queen Isabella of Spain because she was such a powerful monarch and politician. She had so much power that they think that was where that new tweet came from. Well, that's cool. So chess is certainly old. It is by far not the oldest game. So now we're going to go back 2,200 years. So now we're in BC times, right? Whoa, that's a quick jump. That's a big jump. We're going to go to Mesoamerica. We're talking Aztecs, Maya, and the Toltecs. Cool. And a game called Patoli. So Patoli is kind of like a race game. Ben, can you think of other race games where you're trying to race to the end, get to the finish before your opponent does? Uncle Wiggly. Snakes and ladders you mentioned earlier. Although snakes, that's terrifying. We call it, it shoots and ladders in the U.S. Snakes and ladders. No, snakes and ladders. Some of your friends don't make it to the end. Uh, especially that really long snake. That's a boa constrictor. It's just gonna <laughs> yeah, squeeze it's you, over. kill you at the end. It's terrifying. So, by all accounts, Patoli is believed to be a combination of a race game and a war game, cool. and it involved throwing some very simple dice, and you moved along a board that was kind of in an X shape. Now, what was surmised about this game is that gambling on the outcome was very much a big part of it. So like poker, like no one really plays poker without gambling something. Even it's like pennies or chips or buttons that aren't really worth anything. You're gambling something. And it's believed that Patoli was played the same way. The legend, of course, is that it could be something as simple as like gemstones or blankets. And according to a 16th century friar, men would gamble on their lives. With the losers becoming a slave or part of a human sacrifice. Now, I don't know about that. What? This crazy friar may have been on something. I don't know. But anyway. Putting it all on the line. Wow. That's some high stakes. That's some high stakes. So we're going to go back a little bit farther for a third game. Roughly 2,500 to 4,000 years ago. Whoa. And we're going back to China for a little game called Go. Have you heard of Go? I have heard of Go, and that mm. right there, that whole phrase that I just said is the extent of my knowledge about how the game works. All right. I've heard of Go out of China. Okay, so Go is, think of like chess. It's a military battle game. Uh, it might look simpler than chess because all of the armies or the pieces are identical. Mm. Uh, but it's one of those games where its complexities are really rich. So even though it's one of those... Looks simple, probably simple, like chess. It's like, oh, the mechanics are simple enough, but playing the strategy yeah, of chess yeah, yeah, yeah. is profoundly complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but it's a lifetime to master. Exactly. And Go has elements of traditional Chinese and Japanese culture. Apparently, Confucius even referenced the game when pontificating on human nature. Oh. So, I mean, if Confucius is giving you a shout out, that's a big deal. So, since the time of Confucius, people have been using board games and metaphors. Yeah. That makes me feel a little better. Uh, you yeah. know, I feel like board games pop up in metaphors all the time. So, you know, this has been around for a while. That's good. Ben, for the next game, I have a question for you. Oh, dear. What is one of the most frustrating things when you introduce your group to a new game? Um, if you overhype it and then they don't like it. So that's terrible. I mean, that's that's pretty bad. What else is really challenging? Teaching the game to everybody. Uh, going through the rules, right? It's like not fun. You got to sit there and you got to describe it. We've gotten to the habit of like finding a video on YouTube where someone explains it really well. And we're like, just watch this video. It's, it's so, so much, much better. better. It's so much better. Well, 
what would happen if you have to decipher this game from ancient texts, writing on the walls, or cuneiform tablets? Is this the purpose of the um, Rosetta Stone? (laughs) Is to translate board game rules, actually? It might be because we are finally going back to Mesopotamia 4,600 years ago. Holy moly, people. For the royal game of Ur, you are. I love these oh. games in the of the ancient past. Two letters. Go They're not screwing Ur. around. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't got time to We put were a just lot of talking about together. how we don't like long game instructions. They're like, you know what? We don't even have time for long game names. Just get to it. We have things to do. Life is hard. This isn't the future yet. So <laughs> we live till 25, okay? We have to game now. So there's a British museum curator, Irving Finkel, and he has translated the rules of Ur from a 2,000-year-old cuneiform tablet. That's epic. They suggest Ur may have inspired Backgammon, the game we know today. It is another one of those race games where you're moving your pieces based on rolling dice. And boards have been found all over the Middle East and beyond. And in ancient Egypt, there's a version known as the Game of 20 Squares, which apparently was very popular. And King Tut even had a set in his tomb. So these games have... These games have some really big names behind them. I mean, Confucius, <laughs> King Tut, these are standing the test of time. You thought Milton Bradley was a big name in your household. Watch what a out. Backer, man. What King a backer. King Tut's rolling 20 squares. Goodness. Er, How about er that? sounds like the most caveman name you could give to a board game. It's just <laughs> Er. Yeah, or, or, or very indecisive. Like, what do you want to play? Uh, oh, okay, we'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. Let's go. Look, man, I just hunted mastodons all day. I'm exhausted. Maybe Zug Zug would be really good. That would be a really good Zug Zug. Zug Zug. Yeah, it'd be it's perfect. Okay, we're making our way through this list here. Let's go back 5,000 years. Holy moly frijole. In Egypt, for a game called Senet. Senet. S E N E T. Ooh, that brings a bell. So apparently the Met has a painting of Queen Nefertari playing Senate. Once again, royalty playing these games. Only the top shelf of society games. Yeah, a game designer's dream. Yeah. So it's believed that uh, Senate was probably pretty simple in the early days, uh, but it kind of gained some religious significance and was associated with journey through the netherworld to the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Senate actually means passing. Oh, Cyrus got some questions for you. Yeah. That's what this box is for, right? This isn't for the pieces. You could actually take your opponent's finger, I think, if you won, and then you put it in the box and it sends it on, right, to Osiris to be judged by the hippopotamus? By the what now? The hippopotamus and the alligator? I think you're going into some uh, Egyptian mythology I'm not fully no? aware of. Uh, okay, I, I got a little mixed up there. We know it involves racing pawns to the end of the board while avoiding obstacles. So a lot of these are race games, it seems like, these really old ones, like trying to beat your opponent to the goal. Okay, I like this game. This is neat. I want to play this game. All right, so we've made it to the oldest game, Ben. A game that is believed to be anywhere from 3,600 to, are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. 8,000 years old. Whoa. And the origin, as best we can tell, is probably Africa. It is called Mancala. Mancala. While we know this deceptively simple game of pits and pebbles was played in ancient Ghana and Sudan as far back as 1600 BC, a stone board 
was discovered in Jordan that may date all the way back to 5870 BCE. That would place Mancala in the Neolithic era, aka the Stone Age. Yeah! And since this game was played without a board by digging pits in the dirt, who knows how far back it goes. See, my people can play on the ground. Um, That's yeah. amazing. We're talking Stone Age. So we're talking like this is around when like wine cultivation maybe got started. Maybe when cheese, this is when like cheese making was first invented. Mm. They're like, hey, if we're going to have wine and cheese tonight. Yeah. We should game over it. Let's play a board let's, game. Let's be a good host and we'll board game. Wow. Yeah. That's really amazing. I had no idea it was like possibly that old. That's very cool. Yeah. And of course, being this old, it's probably spawned a lot of variants across time and geography. Uh, a version known as Owari is still popular in West Africa and the Caribbean. The version popular in Southern India is called Palankuzi. Dude, if you haven't rolled a few Palankuzis back. And in the West, a version called Kala has been commercially available since the 40s. Kala! So that is the oldest game, as far as we can tell, the oldest board game in existence. That's very impressive. It's way farther back than I thought it was going to be. Agreed. I initially thought chess, and then I remembered Go, and I figured Go was the oldest one. I wasn't close. Respect the long burn. Absolutely, absolutely. And also interesting that, you know, the game mechanics persist to this day. Obviously, a lot of new game mechanics were created, but like the idea of a race game and yeah. trying to beat your opponent in war games, they go back to the earliest times that we can actually document history. Yeah, like next time you're all mad at your friend for like taking you out in a board game, don't blame them. That was a rule Zugzug came up with in the Neolithic period that we just haven't killed yet. Freaking Zugzug. Freaking Zugzug. So what I also want to set the stage for is we're going to jump back to modern times because I want to talk a little bit about what was the stage of board games leading into the 80s so we can talk about our experience for this show. And basically, the 60s to the early 80s really were kind of a golden age for games. They were dominated by American companies. The industry at that time was really split between two types of games. We had fairly simple, fun, family-oriented games. Can you name a few of those off the top of your head, Ben? You might have Trivial Pursuit or mm -hmm. Balder Dash, mm -hmm. Pictionary, or a little mm -hmm. categories around the family table. Game of Life, anybody? Ooh, a little game of life. We could keep going on. A lot of these were produced by Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers. Those were the two biggest names in board games in the 80s. So that was one big segment, probably the segment a lot of us know. But then there was this other big segment, which was historically oriented, complex strategy games. I'm going to throw some names at you here, Ben. Africa Corp, Panzer Blitz, Squad Leader, Ironclads, Civilization. Heard of any of these? Would you feel like Axis and Allies is in that camp, or is that trying to bridge to a broader consumer market from that? I don't know the complexity of these games, but I would guess that Axis and Allies is probably a bridge between the two, because it is somewhat complex, but fairly simple in its rules. 1981's Axis and Allies. Okay, good. Good, 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 good. Yeah, and these games are often produced by Avalon Hill, which is still very big now, Game Designer Workshop, Battle Lines, a few others. Something else that was really popular in this golden age were role-playing games. These were games where 
you're going to play the role of one or more individual characters. You're going to go through a series of adventures and conflicts, often in a fantasy or sci-fi universe. Ben, is there any game that comes to mind for role-playing in the 80s? I don't know. Well, we watched the documentary about what can happen to you psychologically if you play too much of this. Yeah. That is the 1982 thriller drama Mazes and Monsters starring Tom Hanks. Yeah. Uh, But I think you're digging around Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, which another great documentary, season four of Stranger Things, also talks about the ill effects of playing (laughs) D&D. That's right. That's right. And obviously, we don't have to talk about D&D and how popular it has become and uh, has persisted to this day. So that's kind of where we're at. And what we're going to see is toward the late 80s, the popularity of something else kind of pushed board games to the back burner. Any mm-hmm. guess on what that might be, Ben? This is the only note I had for history class. Yeah. So 1977, you have Atari, which comes out. Mm-hmm. Arguably one of the most popular early consoles that existed. But by today's standard with inflation, Atari debuted at $845. So if it came out today, that's how much I would pay for, for an for Atari console. For an Atari today. Holy smokes. Okay. Okay. Now, six years later, Nintendo Entertainment System came out. Okay. And by today's dollars, that's $478. Which, unfortunately, is like a little lower than average. When a brand new system comes out today, you're looking at $600 for a PS5 or Xbox or whatever. Still, crazy amount of money. Not for a Switch, but yes. Not for a Switch. And then uh, six years later, again, you've got Game Boy in 1989. Now, not a full console. It's a handheld thing. So, that's $170 by today's dollars. Okay. So I think the price point that these debuted at helped board games live a little longer mm-hmm. than they could have because it's these are way more expensive than the deck of cards. But any board game that would come out at this time would be a lot cheaper than the game systems. Yeah, and they were just super popular. You could play yeah. all these different video games. And the consoles were kind of coming out a little fast and furious. I mean, what hits in the early 90s? I know we're jumping a little bit ahead. Well, Super Nintendo and, yeah. And the Genesis, right? We've got our 16-bit consoles. And that, I think, really is what made board gaming take a nosedive. But we're going to talk a little bit more about that in contemporary culture. But that's setting the stage of where things were in the realm of board games when we hit the 80s. Now, I have one last thing I want to talk about before we dive into chemistry. Okay. And that is, why do we play board games? Why do we play? Board games bring people closer together. They strengthen relationships. They help you meet new people. Have you ever met anyone through playing board games? Of course. Countless times. Countless times, right? Playing board games increases brain function. How about that? It stimulates areas of the brain responsible for memory formation and complex thought processes. Hmm. Engaging in play assists in practicing essential cognitive skills like decision-making, higher-level strategic thinking, and problem-solving. How about that? Are we just trying to make ourselves feel better right now about why I play board games? Like, yeah, look, we're like super smart. That's why I play board games. You know, I, I'm pointing to all the people that are like, games right your brains. You know, those kind of people. <laughs> yeah, who, okay, good. <laughs> I like it. You know, they're always out to get fun. Like, they just hate joy. That's those the people. segment. That's we're looking at you for. right now. Looking, looking at, at you. you, people. Board games teach you how to set goals and be patient. Just a little bit of a little, sometimes. I know you're laughing at me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I know what that was for, Ben. No, I no, see you. This is, I see you seeing me. These are good lessons. These are good life lessons. Games are great at reducing stress and making us laugh. They're fun. It's a good time. Absolutely. When you're having fun, 
Stress levels go down. It creates more happiness. You create fun memories. It releases endorphins. That's your body's feel-good chemical, right? So we're all about here on ADC. Yeah, absolutely. And it also, board games, enhance your creativity and self-confidence. Ooh. And you can play board games practically anywhere, including on a floor, Ben. Yes. You do need a flat surface. That's it. I mean, kind of. I've played games in the back of a van before, a moving van. That's impressive. Challenge accepted. Yeah. (laughs) Challenge accepted. We're going to figure it out. We're going to make it happen. So that's what I've got for history class. Ben, do you have anything else before we head down the hallway to chemistry? I had my only note just about video games coming in and trying to steal the thunder. Yep. Uh, So I feel good. I hope you, dear listener, have learned as much as I have along with this, because I definitely learned some nuggets to stick in my craw. Fantastic. Well, nothing is simple in this school, as you know. So I've created this Rube Goldberg machine. Oh, God. That will allow us to get to chemistry class. Oh, here we go. I'm just going to turn this crank and let's hop in this little car and let's see if it can't scoot us all the way down the hall to chemistry. Forward to adventure! To adventure! Let's just dive right into it. I want to talk about some of our favorite board games from the 80s. And that could be games that were made in the 80s. That could be games that were enjoyed during the 80s. Because some of these games are really old, but they have long legs, as we're going to find out. Like, some of these games are way older than I even thought they were. Oh, yeah. And we also have some sweet, sweet input from the class of 80s high. Oh, that we took the quiz. And so we're going to get their feedback as well. So, Ben, are you ready to dive right into this? Super ready. Fantastic. I've talked a lot. Tell us some of your favorite games in the 80s, from the 80s. What are those highlights? What are the hits? Why do you love them so much? All right. Well, I'll start you off with a curveball. Oh. I don't even know if this counts as a board game. But in 1978, a colorful little game came out that was there to celebrate disastrously voracious giant mammals who all wanted small white marbles, called Hungry Hungry Hippo. Of course it's a board game. Are you crazy? That counts as a board game? Are you insane? Of course it does. So you were, you were talking these different genres of board games in history class. And for me, there's also this genre when I look at 80s games that's just like silly plastic mechanics. Oh, 100%. Like there's just a whole smattering of games that are like, we figured out how to make plastic do this one weird thing, and we're going to smack it in a board game and make it happen. Oh, yeah. But no, I, I think Hungry Hungry Hippo is a classic. Came out 78, but huge through the, the 80s. One of the random gimmicky games that people would actually play. Oh, yeah. We're going to end up talking about games that were interesting, but I don't think anyone ever played them. Right. But this one I feel like everyone did play because the concept, of course, was mash the button. Yeah. Eat as many marbles as you can. Yeah. Super easy. My favorite, I'm going to flash forward here, my favorite contemporary culture spinoff of Hungry Hippo. Have you seen the full body team effort Hungry Hungry Hippo? I don't know what you're talking about. So you get some friends together in a gym and you throw all these balls in the middle of the floor. Yeah. And then you have one friend who lays on their stomach on like a scooter, those little yellow square scooters from gym class back in the day. Yeah. And they hold a laundry basket. And then another friend holds them by the ankles. Okay. And you rush your buddy into the middle. To get as many balls under your laundry hamper, and then you got to pull them back out to the end. Interesting. Easy to get fingers under the wheels. I mean, there's a little more danger back then. That was part of the excitement. You know, and I would say, I'll throw out one more before we go back here. My other one that was just big, I remember, huge in the 80s, actually originates in 1966. 
And it is not about the worst tornado day ever to hit the Midwest. It's actually about how physically close can you get to the crush of your life while rolling around on the floor like a goober. Twister! I thought you were going to say dream phone. (laughs) Dream phone. (laughs) That's that's another one. Twister, it's on a flat space. Yeah. You spin a dial for what you got to, what limb where. Board game? I mean, again, we're, we're kind of talking about these interchangeably. That one's a little tricky because it's not really tabletop. Right. But definitely a very fun game. I mean, we're going to talk about party games as well. Party games don't technically have to be played on a surface necessarily. Right. But I'm going to count it because this is our podcast. We're going to do whatever the hell we want. We can do whatever we want. I remember this was folded up in my grandparents' basement. And I always wanted to play it for the holidays, but there were no other kids my age and my family. So it's all, bless their hearts, all the oldest people of my family trying to get that on the floor and play Twister with me. It's a game for children and drunk college students. And that's pretty much it. And that's pretty much it. That's That's the age range where it works. And then after that, you're just, you're rolling the dice on a hip break. So, or (laughs) twisted ankle. (laughs) So what about you? I mean, as, as is true to form, my two responses were both arguably, maybe, maybe not on topic. What were your two favorite board games, or a few? Yeah, so one of the earliest ones I could think of as a kid, you actually mentioned already, was Uncle Wiggly. We yeah, for sure. had that freaking board game. I do not remember the rules. I remember they had these little characters. It looked like a little like jackrabbit with a top hat, and I think you moved around a board. Am I even close? Or is, was it a race game? Are you trying to get to the end before? You are racing to the end. It's actually okay. actually originates in 19... 19- 16. See, that that's the one that was way older than I thought. Yep. 100%. And the art is like beautiful. The art's really old. Yeah. But it's actually based on characters from a series of children's books by American author Howard Roger Garris. Okay. He wrote Uncle Wiggly back around the First World War. <laughs> and somehow this random game survived to the 80s and I played it and I remember enjoying it as a very – Young, wee little Chris, uh, really loving that game. That's probably one of the earlier ones I can think of. Perfect memory. Probably one of my absolute favorites was Life. I freaking loved Life. And this is another one that is way older than I expected it to be. Ben, do you know how far back Life goes? 1960. 1860. 1860? It goes back to 1860, then called the checkered game of Life. It's kind of fun. Oh, I don't know why I love that game so much. It was a spinning the dial. Like as a kid, you're like, I get to have a job and make a paycheck and go through and start a family and buy a house and win the lottery. And, you know, it's one of those games where getting to the end first didn't mean you won. I mean, you got a bonus for getting there first, but you you could get there later and still win. So it felt like a game where, while based on chance, you know, the luck of the spin and whatnot, it still felt like a game that, Anyone could win. It's not, you know, there's some games that once you're behind, you're kind of done. Oh, yeah. And that's, I think, one of the reasons I liked it so much. Plus, you know, you had the little car and the figures and you got to zoom around. I like that stuff. So two things about life. I'm really glad you brought it up. I think I only played the game once in a friend Emily's what? basement. I know, it's terrible. What? I think, A, life is really interesting in sort of presenting to a child what are the major milestones of growing up. Sure. Like in a game form is really just interesting. Like this is how this stuff goes. But the reflection I remembered about life was like, I think as a child, it might be one of the first times besides maybe then like playing house when you were given without the rules explaining otherwise, 
the opportunity to have two dads or two moms. Mm, like as a little sure. kid, I always thought that was really funny. And our group of friends like load up the front of the car with the yeah. same gender thing. And I wish, you know, I think all of us wish when we were six to be fully formed adults with mature perspectives on the world. <laughs> like, but when you haven't, you know, been out much and been exposed to diversity and stuff like that, life was like a place where you're like, I can play this whole game with two moms. That's mm. interesting. I didn't know that was an option in life. Cool. Here we go. I think that's really important for life. I don't know if that was intentional. 1860? Probably not. But <laughs> I think it's an interesting fallout of the game. Yeah, I guess the rules probably didn't specify. I'm sure the assumption from the 1860s people was, of course, straight <laughs> relationships and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The 1860 but, yeah. version was weird when they had the station wagon. I'm not really sure how they knew that was coming. But it's, it's amazing. Maybe it was a Conestoga wagon. That's what it was. (laughs) You had to load up the Conestoga wagon. God, I hope so. So those are like a couple of my favorites. I'm sure we have more, though. Oh, yeah. But let's first hear from the class of 80s high because we asked our listeners, our dear sweet listeners, hey, what were some of your favorite board games from the 80s and why? So one of our respondents said Battleship. Yes, we did an episode about Battleship in Season 1. If you'd like to learn more about Battleship, go back to February 2021 in Season 1, Episode 8 of 80s High. Look at the specificity with this guy. (laughs) Head of the class right there. Boom, you suck my episode. So we talked about Battleship. Guess Who? Ben, did you like Guess Who? Guess Who was off the chain. That was like every after-school program I ever went to. It was hours of Guess Who. Who did not like Guess Who? Who? So good. Like, it was so much fun. Uh, Stratego, we've played Stratego somewhat recently, remember You introduced that? me to Stratego. That was the first and only time I've ever gotten to play it. Indeed, yeah. And this is an honorable mention to Chris's, air quotes, shoplifter game. Oh I know God. what this is. I know what this is. We're going we to put a pin a in it. We could do a whole podcast about just this board game. Oh, we man. sure could. We're, we're going to come back to this 100%. Okay. But that was okay, one good. of our respondents that was their favorite games. We didn't get the why, but... They're all fun, so I think that's implied. No, it's great. Another listener from the class of 80s, and welcome back from your summer break, classmates. Great to have mm. you back, and look at you diving right in your first pop quiz out of the air. Yeah. Way to get it. This classmate says, this is a tough one. Most of the games I played in the 80s, like Mousetrap and Crossfire, yeah. were invented before the 80s, while most of the games from the 80s I enjoyed in the 90s and later on, like Scategories and Trivial Pursuit. Yeah. Did you ever play Crossfire, speaking of? Um, I only get caught up in the, but I haven't played it actually myself. This was a game I had forgotten about until doing this episode. And I went back and I was like, oh, yeah, I've probably played that game. But I definitely remember the commercials of it. Crossfire! Like, it's just a, oh, it's yeah, got a no. great little, like, theme song to the game. And it's an interesting idea. It's sort of... It's kind of like air hockey with little marbles. Yeah, it's the opposite of Hungry Hungry Hippo. You're not trying to pull the marbles towards you. You're trying to push them away as fast as possible. This listener said, I love playing Sorry. Did you play Sorry, Ben? Uh, Yeah, not a lot, though. I can't say I was a big Sorry guy. We had Sorry. We played Sorry a lot as a family. I actually really enjoyed that game. That was another fun one. It was based on cards, but you had to decide which pieces to move. And some of the numbers had special abilities or you could split up. And you're trying to get all your people into the home base first, but your opponents can sometimes screw you over, send you back to the start and stuff like that. Like it was a fun game. And it's not far. Like a little two-hour drive, you can get one of the exclusive international copies you can get here near Seattle called Sorry. 
which was a limited release uh, across the border. But I mean, oh it's really great. Unique, unique pieces. This guy, our Canadian <laughs> listener base is coming after you. I didn't say it, everybody. It was Ben. <laughs> it was totally me. It was all me. Uh, shoots and ladders and stop thief. Two mentions of Stop Thief. AKA the other listener, the shoplifter game. I'm not, it's not really shoplifting. Oh there is a God. thief involved. There's many things they could pilfer. <laughs> Stop Thief had an electronic facet to the game that made it so much more exciting. Ben, what am I holding in my hand right now? <gasps> it's the Stop Thief remote. I'm so excited. How would you describe this little gadget? Yeah, so it looks a little like uh, if you were to have a. Uh, remote cellular telephone in your Malibu convertible car in 1987. <laughs> this is who you would call people on. Is This is what's in your center console. Okay. And Ben, do we look about the same age? Yeah. Because we are. We were both created in 1979. Wow. So look at that. How about that? Now, I have replaced the 9-volt battery just this oh very God. morning. And so it's and I'm working. Just, it's ready to I'm going to play a few sound effects from it. So we're going we're gonna to see how this goes. Now, classmates, be the seventh caller, and you can get a custom <laughs> Stop Thief ringtone from the 80s I host, Ben and Chris, on your voicemail. Oh my gosh, that brings back so many memories. That was all of the movements of the thief. The thief is completely controlled by this little handheld device, and you as the detectives have to determine where the thief is based on process of elimination. Pretty inventive for a game in the late 70s. And oh yeah, for sure. It was a lot of fun. And it's kind of, if you're familiar with the game Scotland Yard, it's a little bit like that. Scotland Yard is different because one of the players is doing the hidden movements. But it's definitely one of the games where like everyone's playing against the board. Yeah, and Scotland Yard is a pure 80s game. That's a 1983 release, which is a lot of fun. Absolutely. What else we got? Let's see. Our next listener. Ooh, this is a bit of a story. I'm excited. I always love a good story. Yeah, I yeah, love, yeah. What I love we got? essay questions in 80s high. Oh, man, there's an ancient one I used to play called Pizza Party, where you have to get the right toppings on your pizza to win. Do you know this one? Party. Pizza party. Okay, this is good. I like them because all the toppings had cute little faces, so it made me want to play. There was another one called Pretty Pretty Princess, where you would win tiaras and jewelry as you went along, and whoever got her full royal jewelry won first one. I love it. I'm not it. sure if this is 80s or 90s, but I love Guess Who. Oh. Yeah, you love using the clues to guess who the character was, and I got pretty good at guessing after just a couple questions. It's a good run up there. Yeah, that's a great run. There's, uh, I don't know this Tiara game, Pretty Pretty Princess. Pretty Pretty Princess, the do you recognize The name sounds familiar. The girls game I always wanted, like, a, a boy's version of was, I already said it, Dream Phone. I thought that was hilarious. Dream Phone. Like the fact that you could get on there and call up, you know, the dates For or whatever. For people who don't know, could you please describe what Dream Phone was? I don't actually know. Like, I don't know that I can describe the game other than you had, once again... The convertible phone, the giant phone that you would like call, I think dates on and they would talk to you like, hey, it's Kevin. I think you're really cool. Right. Am I close? So there's a couple of games here. And so this helped with your with with Stop Thief coming out. 
the cellular telephone was trying to become a thing. And of course, as yeah. we've seen any 80s pop culture, sitting on the phone, trying to call like your crush at their house, or you've got the corded phone, the curly long cord, mm. coming from the kitchen, but it's going like into the pantry where you can talk to your crush in secret. So there were two big sort of like telephone communication games during this time, besides Stop Thief. You had Girl Talk, the talking dating game yes, from 1989. Girl Talk. That's right. Which is a lot like what the game you were just saying, which okay. is sort of, again, I, I looked up the mechanics. They're a little rusty right now, but it is like you are trying to go out on the date with the target of your game and you got to navigate the phone. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those games where game is in air quotes. I don't know if there's much of a game to it. Yeah. Yeah, it almost feels there like a choose a an adventure those. story game. Yeah, we're going to talk about more of those, but yeah, go on. Um, and then your prior, of course, a very quintessential 80s game, Mall Madness, 1988. Oh, yeah. Mall Madness, which the board, uh, again, I can't say I've ever played Mall Madness, but the shops around the board, I mean, it was a three-dimensional game, and you would find where there were sales or there were certain things that were happening to you to rush across the mall to shop. That would be a board game set that I would play other stuff in it, like Legos or, you know what I mean? Like I would co-op that set and turn it into something with a different Uh game. It's probably one of those that I'm going to hazard a guess that was played less than played with. Mm, There's a whole category of those. Because we're going to talk about those even more. But yeah, that sounds amazing. I love it all. Beautiful. Anyway, that was the end of their story. Our next listener had... These three to share risk, simple concept and mechanics, yet hours of entertainment. It's probably not from the 80s, but I have a version from then. Again, very popular in the 80s and different variants have spun out throughout the years. Risk dates all the way back to 1959. Oh, that's actually not as old as I thought, but okay. Old. All right. But I played my first round of it in 2017. It took me a while to find risk. You know what's crazy then? That life is a hundred years older than risk. Yeah. Mind-blowing. Wow. Don't break the ice. Do you remember this game? So I looked this one up. It's got a catchy commercial. Yeah. So the listener said, loved, all caps, this game in kindergarten for some reason. Still have vivid memories of playing it at a friend's house. Again, it's a little gimmicky. You got like a little hammer and you have to like knock out the cubes of ice. And you're trying to do that without like knocking all the players out. So it's it's a little bit like Jenga. You're removing a piece yeah. without destroying the structure. Was there a version of that in the 90s? I feel like there was a wet tissue involved in a game like that with Don't Break the Ice. Like you had A wet to, tissue? You had to like dampen a tissue and that was like an easy thing to rip for pieces to fall through. Was that not Don't Break the Ice? Ooh. Did I have a really cheap like back alley version of Don't Break the Ice? Wasn't there one with tissue paper maybe? Hmm. Maybe. Maybe that's yeah. what you do when you lost all the pieces. You just <laughs> Just cried into my tissue. No, uh, no, you play played more. with the tissue when all oh, the pieces yeah, right. were, no, that were gone. Work. We're gone. Okay, I'm totally off. I'm out. Of, I'm off my block here. Last but certainly not least, Hero Quest. Hero Quest. Way before getting into D and D and Warhammer, I played this game, but it definitely opened the doors. Dungeon crawling at its finest. Hero Quest. We're going to talk about that probably more in contemporary culture. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know when you wanted to jump into Hero Quest. This one skirts the line. It originally came out in the UK in 89, but 1990 in the US. But uh, I think our discussion of it, I think, is going to be much more contemporary culture. So yeah, let's put sure. a pin in that bad boy. Put a pin in it. Okay. And we got one more. Yeah. Uh, last but not least, this person said Mousetrap, mm. a.k.a. Rube Goldberg Machine, need I say more? Yeah. 
Uh, they also said, and this one I have to look up, G.I. Joe Commando Attack game yes. with a giant board and a Pac-Man board game. They still have both those games, too. Which is incredible. Do you know these games? I know of them both. I don't think I've played either of them. But the Pac-Man game is basically the video game, but you're playing on a tabletop. And oh, you're, I cool. think, controlling the ghosts and, and Pac-Man and all that's pretty, uh, pretty cool. G.I. Joe stuff was huge. Like, kids today... You just don't know how big toys could get unless you mm. were into G.I. Joe's. My goodness. This game's gigantic. Yeah, it was massive. Those are amazing. They actually cleaned up a lot of the games I had on my list. Ben, were there any other fun ones that you can think of that haven't been covered? So reflecting back in chemistry, really where I was exposed to board games were was in my grandparents' basement. They had a pool mm-hmm. table in their basement. Beneath it was where all the board games were piled, which were basically the board games of my mother Mm. and her friends when she was growing up in the 60s kind of thing. So there's a blend there of where all my board gaming came in. One of the weirdest things that was under that table, Okay, and I know this is one of those things where I'm going to say it and someone is going to slap their car wheel. Yes, that's what I was waiting for. And they're going to like, but they're not going to have thought about it in 30 years. So I'm excited to bust this out. Electric football. Are you familiar with electric football? I have the handheld video game of electric football, but you're thinking of an actual board game. Yeah. So these were in the 60s and 70s is when this really took off. Huge metal table that you would plug into the wall. Okay. And you'd have your own little team, your little football team, and it would be like a little figure. It'd be like a little mini fig about the size of a grape. And you could like direct on the bottom of him which way he was going to run. And then both people would set up their team and then he would flip a button and the table would roar to life. It'd be so loud. Like, and I think it was vibrating, but somehow the table would vibrate at a rate that the players would then move these plastic players, how you directed them. Interesting. You're trying to move the football, whoever's carrying the ball. Yeah. Down the field. And then defense is trying to tackle. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's cool. I don't think I ever knew. This is sort of your your thing of like using the Mall of Madness as a great set for like... G.I. Joe's to go in and just wreak havoc. Right. I don't think I ever played electric football, but I I turned that thing on and tried to make the guys run around. That was huge. Absolutely. I would say we're going to have to come back to it. But 1943's Clue mm-hmm. is kind oh, of yeah. an iconic game from the decade. There's an 86 version that I think was like in everyone's house. Oh, yeah. I don't want to say too much because I feel like that's one you have more to say about later on. I've subcategorized that game. So we will get to it. But yeah, Clue is obviously a huge one from the 80s. I feel like if you were alive in that decade, you were playing Clue at some point, if not a lot of points. Oh, yeah. Three quick hits. Cootie from 1948. This was like putting bugs together. Big plastic bugs. Just called Cootie. I really liked putting them together and pretending with the bugs. Yeah, I think I can remember the box a little bit. Okay. Never yeah, they have a little it. curled up proboscis and you can make your little cooties look different. And yeah. I don't know how the real game worked, but I just like making the bugs. Hmm. Staying with that theme, 1985 bed bugs. This is actually adorably on my Christmas 1987 home video of little me trying to play bed bugs. Oh my goodness. It's another loud vibrating game, batteries. It's a big bed with a guy laying in it. Yeah. And all four players have different plastic bugs. And then you have different plastic tweezers colored with your bugs. You turn the game on, they vibrate like crazy. You're trying to pick the bugs up with tweezers as they hop around in the bed. Huh, okay. Played that a lot as a child. My color blindness at the time did not help. Mm. Not very good at that game. Yeah, yeah. Last but not least, and this is a weird one. This will surprise you. 
I actually played a lot of 1892's Chinese checkers as a little kid. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. My grandparents had a Chinese checkers tray, which if you can't picture it yourself, it's like a star. It looks like a big starboard. Colored marbles. Yeah, five-pointed star. Yeah. I think of it like uh, that Cracker Barrel game. When you go to a Cracker Barrel, there's a triangle with the little pegs you got to hop over each other. Yeah. But I played it a lot by myself. And I actually tried to look this up. Contrary to the popular belief of the name, it originated in the United States. Mm. It's a marketing scheme. Those marketers. We're back to the marketers again. Back to those marketers. Bill and Jack Pressman, 1928. Slightly racist. Yeah, we know. Exactly. The Pressman Company's game was originally called Hop Ching Checkers. Oh, criminy. It is neither a variation of checkers, nor did it originate in China or any part of Asia. Oh, boy. So, like, fun game. And it's fun because a lot of people can play it together at once. But yeah. um, Spoilers, the name and the reason for the name does not hold up today. Does okay. not hold <laughs> just, up we're today. We're just going to render judgment on that one right now. So that's a lot of the cardboard metal that I would dust off in my grandparents' basement. Um, but that's we'll get to that for now. The high, the high hits. The high hits. That's awesome. The only other one that I would say was a favorite I played a lot was Yahtzee. And this Yahtzee! is a dice game. It's a dice game. I played this with my grandmother, my brother, and my cousins a ton. We usually played it over at my grandma's house, but we love playing Yahtzee. We would break that one out all the time. That and Sorry, that was another one that got broken out regularly. That's a great game. I do like, I do like a good Yahtzee. Yeah, it's a good one. And um, you know what's really interesting about that game you said at Cracker Barrel? You can legally only play that game at Cracker Barrel. So don't ever yeah, try to no, play shoot. that game anywhere else. You no, have to play it they will arrest you. at your table. Yeah. 100%. So now I'd like to talk about some game, like a few subgenres that I think are fun. So one of them I want to talk about, and we've kind of, I think, gone through some of these. Were there games that you like to play, but you were never like good at? Like for whatever reason, you just couldn't play very well. Clue was that game for me. I was never great at Clue. I was never good at deduction. I don't think I ever won that game ever, but I enjoyed playing it, but I was just terrible at it. And I'd always play against people that somehow had a strategy that was foolproof and I could never get my mind wrapped around it. So that's one that I enjoyed, but was not good at. Twister, you mentioned. I was really bad at Twister. What? But you're lanky. You can reach so far. I didn't used to be. Okay. This is a more recent growth spurt. I loved Clue, but I didn't get good at Clue until later. Like, there's some higher mm. level long term thinking Clue that's need that like a six year old yeah. can't accomplish. Logic and deduction, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So I can't say I was an '80s kid playing Clue, but when I got into Clue in the '90s, I really did Clue. For some reason, I always have to play Colonel Mustard. I think it's hilarious Me that too. A, mil- a military official is la- named after a condiment. That's hilarious yes, as a child. I, I had to be Colonel Mustard as well. That's hilarious. It's so good. But I think there's something really interesting in Clue. I'm always like, I like Clue. I get it. I know how to play the game. But when I play with a master, like someone who like everyone at the table's taking a turn and they can make the guess and they get it right. Yeah. Like everyone's only gone once. And they're like, yeah, no, obviously it was plum in the ballroom with the candlestick. And you're like, how do you know? Yeah. That blows my mind. Very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah. Operation was a game I was never good at. (laughs) Though also, I'll say this much. Operation also falls into the category of probably never played by anyone by the rules ever. 100%. You just took turns trying to fish the annoying little body parts out. That game is also panic inducing. Which I have another game that is a worse offender. Worse panic inducing than Operation. Yes. 
Uh, oh, I think I know what it is. I'm going to put a pin in that because we were going to talk about games we didn't like. So okay. I actually liked Operation. I was just terrible at it. And the last one was Connect Four. I just I don't ever remember winning Connect Four, but I remember playing that game a lot. I was just never super good at it. Maybe because I played my brother. He was four years older, so he's a little more advanced with his skill and strategy, but I was terrible at that game. So 1974 is Connect Four. When I was a camper at summer camp and a counselor, basically every cabin was equipped with three board games, which had 78% of their pieces still intact. Sure. And that would be, you would always have a set of checkers. Yep. You would always have guess who. Yep. And you would always have Connect Four. Yeah, that sounds right. And when it's like pouring rain at summer camp, Despite what some of like the fun, silly movies have you believe, you just sit in your cabin, except yeah. to go run and get everybody food. And so I have played thousands of rounds of Connect Four. Thousands. And as a counselor, you're also playing children. So you're probably right, going to- so I'm a god. You're going to win a great. little bit more. Yeah. You get so much respect. You're like, he went undefeated for nine and a half hours. Are there other games like from the 80s, during the 80s that you enjoyed but weren't very good at? This one isn't really fair for this category, but this is the best I can do for your question. Uh, sure, yeah. Those family education games, that's the house I grew up in. Like all the fun, silly games from my mother's youth were in my grandparents' basement. Right. But all the word games is what I grew up with. So I, you know, Balderdash and Scategories. Scrabble was like my mm. household's favorite game growing up. That was always oh, okay. on the table. Uh, but then also the last, you know, what I'm answering this question with is Trivial Pursuit. 1981's Trivial Pursuit. Okay. That was at every family reunion, every family holiday. As surprising to no one, I would crush like science. But when it came to like history or sports, boof, mm. I was useless. But I think, you know, again, jumping really far in advance, I think we have like pub trivia because of Trivial Pursuit. Oh, yeah, definitely. Trivial Pursuit is a, is a massive pop culture icon. Absolutely. But one that I'm not good at every aspect of. And this one bridges the gap because I hate Trivial Pursuit. Mm, yeah, okay, okay. Which Thank is you. shocking to a lot of people. They think I'm a person who knows a lot of things. And I just I've find never, this. I've never heard anyone say that. Has anyone just... really said that to you? My no God. No one's ever said that to you. Good gracious. But really? I, <laughs> I just find this game unenjoyable. Thoroughly unenjoyable. <laughs> I don't like it. I just don't like anything about it. Fair enough. Very fair. Well, very let's fair. talk about games. Actually, let's just segue then into games that uh, we just don't like. Oh, just straight up do not enjoy. Games that might be popular, maybe a lot of other people like, but we just find awful. The worst. We have our thoughts, as do our listeners. Do you want to start with the listeners, Ben? Let's start with the listeners because they might help inspire me for my answer. To okay. I would try for this. Okay. Well, one of our listeners said definitely mousetrap as a kid. I don't <laughs> think I ever actually played the game. Just struggled to set it up so you could set it off. And I completely agree. This is a game that I owned and set up a million times and never played. I didn't hate it though. It wasn't bad. It was just in that category of played with but didn't play. You know, I'm going to go way out on a limb and probably say that's what 99% of kids were with Mousetrap. They probably, I mean, it's a very popular game. Everybody seemed to have it. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever played a game of Mousetrap. I maybe did once and then I was like, okay, we're just going to set this baby up. You know, we're just going to have fun with it. Yeah. Nobody. 
But I just want to throw out there, that's not useless play. Like, you were still trying to put together the Rube Goldberg machine, which was challenging. But that part was more fun than the rules and the actual mechanics of the game. It was like, nobody wanted to do that. They wanted to set up the cool Rube Goldberg machine. And to your history lesson of, like, how games can teach you to be creative, just seeing how this small little compact board game area came up with moving a marble around, like a little diver on a diving board yeah. and a boot that kicks it down some stairs. Like, it was really yep. creative. It was cool. Yeah. It was a cool thing to set up and play with. Absolutely. I just love the sassy here. <laughs> Fun fact, Monopoly can burn in hell. <laughs> so good. As much as I love the underlying anti-capitalist message, games need to be about fun and not about mortgages. I have a mortgage in real life. It sucks. Uh, I love this. I love this answer. I could not agree more about this game. Burn for eternity. It was terrible. That game always ended in a fight. It never ended an actual end of the game because there's no end to the game. I think the only Monopoly I've played is like off a large soda at McDonald's. Oh, that's probably the only way to play it. I want a free small fry. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of people listening to the show who know me personally, and I know I can be a little stubborn. You know, hey, he's going to do what he wants. He's going to – he marches the beat of his own drum, cut his own jib. But I have heard the overwhelming tsunami of criticism of Monopoly that I listened. I listened to the crowd. I didn't have to go find out for myself. I don't think I've ever played a game of Monopoly. I think I've avoided it. Good for you. Because no one has ever said, hey, do you want to know a fun game? It's called Monopoly. I've never heard anyone say that. No, you're completely right. And I should just say, there's someone out there right now who's like, well, the reason no one likes Monopoly and it never ends is because they're playing by house rules. When you put all the stuff in free parking, then that means... No, get out of here. I don't care. It's still a terrible game with no clear end in sight. Even though if you didn't extend it by playing house rules where you dump a bunch of money into free parking, oh, yeah. it's still a terrible game. I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't think many people would disagree. But there's also 2 billion variants of this game. It's wild. They're still making them. It won't stop. Yeah. No, why? Another listener says, I was never a fan of Breaking the Ice, although I'm not certain that was from the 80s. Again, we're we're being a little squishy here. It was definitely around in the 80s. We've got one person saying it was their favorite and another person saying they despised it. I like that. Mousetrap is kind of the same way. We had a favorite and a not-so-favorite. What else? Yeah, so we had another person, weirdly enough, saying they actually loved Monopoly, but Mm. like you said, never finished a game. They could never get to the end of it, and also they fought a lot too, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Someone also corroborated our Mousetrap that they liked it, but no one ever played it for the reason of its playing. Yeah. These other two, though, were really interesting. It seemed like there was a lot of excitement around them, but uh, didn't work out quite so well. So we also had Crossfire. Again, we're getting like people falling on both sides. This is so interesting. Fantastic theme song, but never really worked the way it should. I could definitely see that game like not going anywhere. Like at first it's exciting and then that thing just kind of keeps spinning around and nudging back and forth. But you can't really just like easily sail it into your opponent's goal and and score. I could see that one being a little frustrating after a while. Yeah. And the last one, Ben, this is the most nerve wracking game ever. Worse than, Mm. more anxiety provoking than freaking Operation. Perfection. Yeah. Tell me about it. 
Oh my God, if you don't know perfection, you have a board of probably 30 or 40 shapes, cutouts, and you have to put all of the different shapes into the right cutout to the backdrop of a ticking time bomb. It's terrifying. And at any point in time, the game does not only set off the alarm, but the entire board bounces up and all the pieces fly into your face. It's awful. And this person says the game made me a nervous wreck. Absolutely. What a nightmare game. What torturous person decided to unleash this on children and turn them into a bunch of nervous wrecks? My goodness. Have you played this game, Ben? I don't think I've ever played it. I, I can picture Ooh. it. I can, I can see the commercial. Pop goes perfection. It's mean. Oh, my but, gosh. Uh, yeah, and I wish I knew. How long do you have? It's a lot of pieces to put in, and it doesn't feel like a lot it's of It's like time. 40 or 50. It's a lot. And they're like, you know, it's a half moon shape. It's a octagon. Like, it's just all these different shapes, and you're trying to very quickly, oh, no, 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 no. I am nervous talking about it. <sighs> Hold on. I got to sit back for a minute. Hey, just take a, just get, get yourself composed there, man. <sighs> okay. So I do want to talk a little bit next about games. We've alluded to these a little bit. I have at least that were fun to set up, but you rarely actually played. We've talked about some oh, of these, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hit just a few more because I don't think people remember there are the more. extent of these gimmicky games that were around. We've talked about Mousetrap. Do you remember a game called Rattle Me Bones? Uh, not only do I remember a game, Rattle Me Bones, I just watched the commercial for it before we recording. Yeah, Rattle Me Bones. Another game I don't think anyone ever really played. They just kind of set it up and had fun with it. Yeah. Do you remember the game Shark Attack? Uh, very similar. Shark Attack was cool. That's another, in this for me, in the genre of like battery-powered gimmicks for this one game. But you just have the shark kind of circling the board game and you're trying to move your pieces quickly before the shark eats it. Again, a little little anxiety provoking. For sure, 100%. Another creepy game called Don't Wake Daddy. Are you familiar with this one? Don't Wake Daddy. I had Don't oh Wake Daddy. Gosh. I love Don't Wake Daddy. And it's another one of these games where you're trying to like be real sneaky. And I can't remember what you do, but like he could just bolt up in bed and his like eyes pop up and it's kind of... Well, which scary. threw me around too. Well, like, so you had to move around. If you go in a certain space, you have to like crank something that's connected to the bed. And like after oh, somebody cranks, yeah. it pops. Which in researching this, I found 1986's Don't Wake the Dragon, oh. which seems to be the exact same game, but it's a dragon instead of daddy. I like it. I could see it. Yeah. A slumbering dragon on a pile of treasure and you don't want to wake it up. Very Smaug-like. You know? <laughs> it's exactly what it looks like. That's exactly it. That's fascinating. And I have one more, Ben, that I am shocked we have not brought up yet. Oh. Oh. I think I know what you're going to say. Because we've talked about this game a lot before. Does it rhyme with uh, Liar Gall Slyland? It just might. <laughs> Fireball Island. My nice. Good. God. Another game that we probably played once and then just played with, launching the lava balls down the different you know, shoots and trying to knock out all the players. That game was a blast, but I don't know that anyone ever played it. No. And actually, this is one like, I remember when they did the re-release of the game a few years ago and I saw it at the store, huge box, very exciting. Yeah. This is another one that like somehow missed me. I don't think I ever played wow. Fireball Island, but it looks awesome. It looks that is a awesome. shocker. That is a shocker to me. Oh, I, I would, I would have expected Fireball little Island. Ben would have gotten his hands I on that know. one. It looks great. It looks very cool. 
Oh, man. We've talked about a lot of cool things, uh, a lot of amazing games, a lot of games that drove us crazy. I will say, and trying to do some research here, commercials we've talked about a little bit. There were some like standout commercials, but oh yeah, I think similarly to when there were toy commercials, it would feature the kids playing them and it would have like, you know, they're shouting out commands and I'm going to do this or that or, you know, like Guess Who had a very classic sure. one. Is your person bald? Does your person have a hat on? <laughs> you win. Let's play again. Fun is trying to guess when you play Guess Who. You know, that kind of stuff, right? Wow, you've memorized this. This is very impressive. That jingle stuck in my head all these years. Awesome. Mar- good marketing. Good marketing. Great marketing. The jingle Brilliant. has stuck. Brilliant. But, you know, like Battleship we talked about in our other episode, they had like, you know, man your battle stations, especially when Talking Battleship came out. Trying to put you right in the scene of being on the submarine, on the ship. Immersive gameplay. But I don't think they were, they didn't seem to be as insidious as what we talked about like in our Sweet Treats episode where they were trying to sell like really expensive play sets or like sugary drinks and cereals. Exactly. I don't feel as icky as I do as I did with the... The coming diabetes wave (laughs) from the 80s. Uh, The little sugar highs across the globe. I will say one of my favorite disclaimers, you know, we talked about the disclaimer. Well, battery's not included. We talked about for our last episode that that was a disclaimer for a lot of toys and games. The guess who disclaimer, game pieces do not actually talk. Oh, because right in the commercial, they talk. Yes, yes. That's right. Game pieces do not actually talk. I thought that was hilarious. That one made me laugh. When you saw that commercial, we were like, dang it. Oh, I thought man. they were going to talk. Oh, rats. rats. Cheapers, mister. Yeah. Cheap. <laughs> cheap. That's awesome. You know, there's one here I don't want to leave totally behind in chemistry because I think it's oh, a big yeah. deal in the 80s. Of course. 1985's Pictionary. I think like from the 80s, you know, like this is like a quintessential date night game. Mm. Like it's either charades or Pictionary. If you're like... We're going to have the Joneses over and we'll have appies and wine and we'll get to know our new neighbors like Pictionary and you Charades. You were an interesting child. As a kid, you had <laughs> the married couple over for appies. Wow. Mother, should, do you think this is a Pinot night or should we crack the new Malot from California? Pinkies up, mother. Pinkies, Pinkies up. up, mother. But right, like when you think of like zany date nights, like yeah. these were the two kind of party games that people played a lot. And I, it was cool to learn like... Pictionary became a branded, I'm sure people were playing this game beforehand, but a branded box game, 1985. Baby Fish Mouth. Remember that? Harry Met Sally? Baby Baby Fish Fish Mouth. Baby Fish Mouth. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. They were literally playing Pictionary on a date night. That was great. So anyway, I just want to throw that one out before we left it in the dust. Well, Ben, it is almost lunchtime. So hungry. I think what we need to do is I'm going to put this token down to remind us it's your turn next. So we're going to step away. We're going to head to the cafeteria for some grub, and then we can pick up where we left off in contemporary culture. What do you think? Thank God, because I am a hungry, hungry hippo Mm. whose intestines are getting very twistery. Oh, geez. And I feel that I need to run down to the cafeteria for a pizza party. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And then an operation, apparently, if you're all twisted up inside. Oh, Uh, man. So let's roll. Let's do it. It's Guess Who? The mystery face game. The fun is trying to guess when you play Guess Who. Is your person bald? Yes. A very good question. Does your person have a beard? Uh huh. An excellent clue. The fun is trying to guess when you play Guess Who. Do you wear glasses? Yep. Uh oh. That means it's not you. Hold on. Or you. Bye bye. Or you. Toodle. I guess you're tough. You win. Let's play. 
fun is trying to guess when you play guess who. Game cards do not actually talk. Small Madness. Sale at the shoe store. The new shop till you drop game that really talks. Sale at the fashion boutique. It's all the fun of a shopping spree. With Mall Madness, you get it all. A bank account and your own credit card. Clearance at the sunglass boutique. Mall Madness really talks. To win, buy everything on your list and be first out of the mall. I win! Attention, Mall Shop. Mall Madness, the electronic shopping game that really talks. From Milton Bradley. It's the mall with it all. It's some time in the future. The ultimate challenge. Crossfire. So unfortunately, the outbreak of bed bugs in the cafeteria has caused a bit of delay. Oh my goodness! What is that taboo for me to say? Oh I, my goodness! 1989's taboo. Anybody? Keep the dad jokes going, buddy. Keep them going. <laughs> I'm trying to see how many board games we can name in this whole show without actually talking about them. Keep up your balderdash, man. Keep up Ooh, your balderdash. You can't stop. That's another game. Can't oh, stop. Oh, look at you go! Game that my family had that I did not understand. What was going on? They played it a lot. I had no freaking clue. Do you remember Mastermind? That was another one with the different colored You know, Mastermind, I almost brought up Mastermind for this show because there's a lot written about that game. That's also a really old game that's been through like a gazillion iterations. And that was really big in the 80s and the 90s. That's like an early game. Like if you were going to become a programmer someday, you play Mastermind. That's, Mm. That's your jam. Meanwhile, I'm just rolling dice and playing Yahtzee. So Yahtzee! It's a great game. Different strokes for different folks. Okay. Contemporary culture. Where we left off, we said that, you know, come the mid-80s and the early 90s, video games were really kind of taking off. And and board games were still coming out, of course. They were still happening. But what we really found is in the mid-90s, the industry was kind of revived in Europe, oh. notably Germany. Yeah, for sure. Thanks to a lot of games. There's Cosmos, Hans and Gluck, Ravensburger, and Ravensburger. Alia. And English language versions of these games are often sold in North America by Mayfair, Rio Grande, Fantasy Flight Games. If you're a modern gamer, those names probably sound very familiar to you. But the Euro games that came over were very different. And I think they infused a different kind of fun into the North American board game market when we see this renaissance that happens in the early 2000s and has continued to this day. So Euro games were, were markedly different in a couple different ways. So They're usually historical strategy games, and for the most part, they're pretty simple. Rule books are usually like four to eight pages. They're not super complex. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! (sighs) We've played some beasts, man, but these were like pretty simple. The boards and the boxes they were kind of higher quality than earlier games. The pieces were like they weren't plastic; they were like painted wood figures. Yeah, yeah, right. The counters and tiles were made with this really thick, sturdy cardboard. They had nice pictures on them. There was a durable linen finish. Like they were just the boxes had some weight to them, right? Oh, you yeah, knew for that sure. there was something hefty inside, not just cheap, low grade chipboard inside. Often they would emphasize strategy over a luck system and they could feature direct conflict but a lot of them were really more concerned with economic 
growth or civilization building, Settlers of Catan, Carcassonne, good examples. There's a little bit of conflict, but it's really more about who can out-strategize economically and build that engine better than their opponents. Yeah. And some of the mechanics that were introduced from these Euro games were use of action points, resource counters, trading with other players. And often these games would have no dice, no spinners, or any of those kind of random number generators at all. It was really based more on, you know, on your turn, you could do a certain set of things and you had to kind of maximize what you could do in that turn. Well, and you love random mechanics. That's like one of your favorite things in a game, right? Like random. If every decision is based off a dice roll, I am so thrilled. That is the best game <laughs> that's, possible. That's all, that's all you look if for. If every single decision was based off a dice roll, oh, I'm in heaven. Chris it's is like, Do you want to play a game where you have no pretty. agency, but you feel like you have agency? Right. Roll die for three hours. Roll dice, yeah. I, I, I don't categorically dislike dice, but certainly the more that they have an impact on big outcomes, it can be frustrating. Yeah, because it's random chance. So Euro games obviously appealed to me in that regard. And then the last thing that was really big about them is they usually had a limited number of rounds mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. a reasonably achievable level level of victory points. Remember those victory conditions we talked about? They were pretty attainable. So it really made the games contained, have a finite endpoint. Monopoly would probably be a much better game if you had a particular endpoint. There was some condition that would uh... kind of trigger endgame on it. Even the listener who loved it was like, I hate it that I can never finish the game. Yeah. Often because of fights, but not always, right? But those were some mechanics and aspects of gaming that Euro games brought back to North America and were really, I think, part of this huge resurgence. We also saw role-playing games make a comeback. Card games like Magic the Gathering, huge comeback. Uh, for card games, that was still continues to, day, to this day be a, a huge massive tournament game i mean i would say without magic there is no pokemon magic the gathering was like the massive card face-off sure right before pokemon hit and then without pokemon you don't get Yu-Gi-Oh. like it's a whole chain it's Mm. like one of the reasons you want to start the show of like you should respect where the thing you love came from or like (laughs) the thing you love only exists because this came before it i think magic is huge for card gaming and i i always call Settlers of Catan, 1995 Settlers of Catan, the Euro game you mentioned. I think it's the gateway drug for modern mm-hmm. board gaming. Where like, if Agreed. you like these get together, guess who's connect fours from back in the day. Catan is pushes you over. Catan's very easy to understand. I feel like a lot of people have Catan. Yep. And if you can get Catan down, that opens up the door to a whole new world of board games that are yeah, arguably the most popular genre today. I played Catan for the first time in grad school. And I remember what was interesting about it at the time was that people who didn't generally like board games enjoyed Catan. Yeah, right. There was just something about it where you're right. It's not super difficult to understand, but it has a lot of moving parts to it. A lot of, it's a little little more complex than you realize, but the gameplay is pretty straightforward. And you're right. I think it is kind of that gateway game to, oh, I want to play some other stuff now. I actually enjoy yeah, board games. Exactly. Because it's it's there's more to it than those games of yore where you're just, again, spinning a dial and moving around the board and getting to the end and counting your money and who has the most. Like there's a little more there there. I love it. I love it. 
So uh, that's really what the 90s brought uh, is this really slow resurgence that kind of builds. And, you know, the other big thing I think that has really been a huge factor in this resurgence of board gaming is uh, Kickstarter. There are so many games, so many board games that have been launched, rebooted, restarted from Kickstarter, whether they're brand new games that we never would have known of otherwise or a couple of uh, comebacks, including some 80s ones. So have you backed any Kickstarter board games? I have. I mean, were they successful? Do you feel like you were a part part of a movement? Yeah, I, I, I did back Exploding Kittens. Oh, you did? You you're part of the Exploding Kittens renaissance. That's cool. Yeah, it's not a good game, but I did. Um, it was very well, disappointing. It was only because the oatmeal was a part of it. I mean, it was a huge success. Don't get me wrong, but the oatmeal was like a huge. Oh, of course, yeah. The catalyst. Kind of like, I think it meant like actual oatmeal, and I was like, I don't remember the food being part of the game. I think it's Matthew Enman, but he did all of the uh, artwork for it. So, I mean, I, we could go all over the the map on this one. This is going to be kind of hard to contain. Because there are a lot of things I do that we could talk about. But I, because I mentioned Kickstarter, do you mind if we just kind of talk about some big Kickstarter? Please do. Yeah, okay. So you mentioned Fireball Island was restarted. Yeah, right. Brought back through Kickstarter. Fireball That's Island, right. colon, The Curse of Volcar. This game was backed within an hour, and it earned $2.5 million total. A game that was beloved, but no one actually really played. People were willing to shell out $2.5 million to bring it back. And this is dating back from 1986. This is an older game, right? Yeah. And they're like, nope, it's got to come back. We I don't think this. it's been in print for a long time. No, 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 no. Probably not since the 90s. Yeah, no, so you're not getting a new no. version of it. We talked about Hero Quest, which I know is going to set off a whole side discussion. <laughs> but Hero <laughs> Quest recently also was kickstarted. Actually, uh, Hasbro did it. That's amazing. Huh. It raked in $3.7 million. People are ready for that game to come back. Yeah. A game that I loved as a kid, but did not know anyone else who really knew it or played it. But it was clearly popular enough. $3.7 million. It's a big deal. But the version that you introduced me to with Hero Quest, now that wasn't a Kickstarter one. That was the OG. That was the real deal. OG, the original. That's I have awesome. since my childhood. My dad and I used to play it. And we, with Mrs. Ben, played through the entire campaign last year, <laughs> basically. Mrs. Ben. Yeah, it was a fantastic game. It's a lot of fun. It's D&D light. It's definitely geared toward children, but we as adults sure had a heck load of fun, right? It's an absolutely great game. I don't know. Everything is perfect. Everything is very tight in the game. Yeah. There's not a mechanic that you're like, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm jumping ahead to math class. That's a board game that holds up perfectly from the yeah. No, No qualms. So I can see why that one came back. The, the Fireball Island one is still a bit of a mystery. Maybe like yeah. the gimmick kind of carried it through. But like Hero Quest is an actual game game, I think, that is playable. 100%. Just a, a few other big ones that came out. There's uh, Cards Against Humanity was actually a successful early Kickstarter 2010. That company is now valued at half a billion dollars just based oh off of God. Cards Against Humanity. I'd say it's done well as like a party game. You know, it's not really for this show, but Cards Against Humanity has been in the news big time as of last week. Oh, um, was it? Yeah, but it's not for this show. But just do a little Google like Cards Against Humanity news. But uh, they live their cheeky humor, their, their smug zinger humor in everything they do. How they write their cards to how they run their company. And they were uh, in the news in a really 
awesome way last week. Look that up on your own, everybody, if you want to know what it is. Yeah. Other games that were kickstarted that I think are a lot of fun. Well, I mentioned Exploding Kittens. That one's fine. Joking Hazard. Oh, sure. Yeah, By yeah. Cyanide and Happiness. Cyanide and Happiness comic. Zombie Side is a huge... Oh, yeah. Every That's a single game. variant of Zombie Side has been kickstarted. There's like... 20 or 30 versions, I swear, of Zombie Side. It's insane. And that's a really fun game, too. I like It's that a fun one. game. It's a great co op game. And then Nemesis, which is also a fun game. It's totally not alien, but, <laughs> but you wake up on a ship and there are space creatures trying to kill you, but they're totally not aliens. Totally not alien. That one is a lot of fun. And that's a huge, successful, pretty recent Kickstarter. Well, and if I can bring it back to the 80s a little bit, I yep. the only thing I've ever sponsored on Kickstarter in a game world is Ghostbusters, which is based oh, on the cartoon. Yeah. Yep. So the, the board game is not based on the movie necessarily, but on the actual animated series, the real Ghostbusters that we did, um, which is also a really fun co-op board game. We still need to play that one. I, God, I think that's it's gonna be great. I think it's next on the docket when we when we can get together. We're he gonna, slimed me. You're going to love it. I'm so looking forward to that one. So, yeah, I mean... There's so much about games these days. There are standalone game stores. In an era when brick-and-mortar bookstores are vanishing, there are thriving game stores out there. Yeah, sure. The Seattle area has an amazing... There's Mox. They've got a couple different locations. Oh, yeah. Huge board game community. Board Game Geek? Have you ever been to Board Game Geek? That's like your website? That's like your trusted go-to. You find a game somewhere and you're like, okay... What's its rating on Board Game Geek? What are the comments? Is this a good game or not? It's like, like that a is Wikipedia your go-to. And Amazon had a baby about board games. Yes, that's what it is. It's great. Absolutely, it's it's a fantastic site to go and see. Like, hey, is this game good or not? There's huge gaming conventions all around the world about board gaming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Massive. I do want to talk about. We want to talk about what are some of our favorites now. What are some of the games mm-hmm. we like today? And we also asked our classmates. So we got to get their input as well. So, Ben, what are some of those 90s to current? Are there any games that you were introduced to, found that you love so much that we haven't talked about yet? I thought about this long and hard because I have quite the board game collection. I was like, what are my favorite games? And I tried to come up with a nice three because like three is a magic number. And after I stared at number two for about 10 minutes, I was like, you know what? I should just stop. There's really just two that are like my favorite that I think wow. are better than anything else in my, in my collection. Now, I might have played other stuff that I have sure. forgotten about. Well, lay it on us. What are your top two? My number one game is Dead of Winter. Mm-hmm. Dead of Winter mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. co-op yep. game that can turn into everybody versus one person. I'm not going to explain the mechanics of the game because like we said, learning how to play a game is the worst part of playing games. It's 45 minutes. Yeah. You know, when I look back at the 80s, it mixes a little bit of Scotland Yard. It mixes a little bit of Escape from Atlantis. There's a little bit of Clue going on mm-hmm. there, going around looking at different stuff. It's the right balance of everything. There's a right amount of storytelling, right amount of challenge, how long the game takes, the mechanics. There's yeah. a lot to do. It's a great game. And my other one originated actually not until 2004, and then I have the 2010 edition of it, but it's Betrayal at House on Haunted Hill. You do like that game. Which is sort of like Scary Clue. It's going around a house, you're building a house together, and there's like 50 different stories that come into the game, but they're all based on those sort of like that heyday of universal monster film. Now, you said you're building a house. You're exploring a house, right? Yeah, you're exploring it, but you're revealing, I guess, the house as you go along. Got it, got it, got it. Okay. Um, But again, you're, you're teamed up for a little bit. There's a good amount of time. 
There's again some escape from Atlantis a little bit from the 80s. But um, I think those two are both really fun thematically and mechanically. Okay, I need to know your number three because I am shocked there's a particular game not on this list. What is your number three? I know you're like, it's a it's a long dive down. Well, those first two, I mean, the two things that come, a good board game that I love. I like a game that has teamwork where we're going to all do something together, maybe against the game. Okay. A good challenge, great replayability, got to have that. And like the right amount of time. I don't want to play for six hours. I don't want to play for 10 minutes. I need a good like 90, to, 90 minutes to two hours. Okay, maybe this is why this game didn't make it on your list. Alien versus Predator. I am shocked it's not on your list but now maybe i understand why i did say i might be blinded by my love of franchises i could be a bit of a franchise boy sure but i do really love the ghostbusters game and aliens versus predators okay okay i think there's a little bit of ip blindness there no i think they're fun game well i haven't played the ghostbusters Ghostbusters. one yet as we've mentioned but i mean it's it's a fun it's it's a co-op game where you're fighting ghosts come on how can that not be it's enjoyable But AVP is fun because it's asymmetrical three player versus player. It's just very hard. It's very complicated. It, it is a very complicated game. And that's probably its only downfalls. It's super complex. Like we oh we learned the talk about learning rules. That one was mind bending to try to get all the mechanics. It is a lot. That was a graduate level course to figure that game out. Oof. Yeah. Uh, very yourself, advanced. Do you have a top three? Three games that are near and dear to your heart? So I, I do want to say that in my teen years, a game that we mentioned really came to the forefront and I loved so much. And I played with my friends a lot. And that is Axis and Allies. Axis and Allies. My friends and I played Axis and Allies a ton. But that is definitely a game that is very long to play and can kind of go nowhere like Risk. You can sort of just get caught in a never-ending cycle. Dice rolls were kind of a downfall of it where you could Uh, lose a battleship because of a dumb roll or something like uh, that where, you know, it was it was that kind of a thing that could get very frustrating or like a bunch of infantry you could roll and they would just wipe out a, a bunch of tanks or whatever. And so like you would just get those goofy random dice rolls that would just not really fit and be a little frustrating. But we played a ton of that game. Yeah. The reawakening for me, really, Settlers of Catan, you mentioned, was one of them. While it's not oh, yeah. a game I really enjoy these days, it definitely... <laughs> I was one of those people that were like, I want to play more games. Uh, Carcassonne was another big one. It's a Carcassonne's fun great. little tile-laying game. That one's great. Two players. You can play more. Another one that I think is fun is Seven Wonders. Mm-hmm. One of the few games where you can play seven people and you really don't get any slowdown. That's true. Seven Wonders does keeps moving. Very few games do it, and almost no games do it like this, because you're all playing simultaneously. You don't really lose a lot playing seven people. Because, you know, like when you're playing big group of people, 80% of your time you're just sitting around doing nothing. Yeah, shenanigans. 5% you play, 15% you're planning your next move, if you can. And then it's 80% you're just waiting. But you don't have that in Seven so Wonders, true. which is so much fun. It's the game that I met after Catan, and I feel is like a great progression in getting deeper into those games. Is like Catan, yes. then Seven Wonders, and then like more beyond that. Seven Wonders is a great, is a fantastic game. Yeah, and, and another Euro game influence, wherein you don't have a lot of direct conflict with the players. There's a little bit of a mechanic, but really and truly, it's all about building the society where you have more yeah. victory points or whatever. 
we've talked a little bit about co-op games. Co-op games, I think, were so much fun. Forbidden Island was great. Zombie Side uh, was I great. Love Forbidden Island. Pandemic was a great game. Still is. It's a little harder to play these days, but it's, it's still harder to play right now. But those kind of uh, co-op games were just so much fun. They're super cool. I do want to say probably my two favorites. Star Realms is by far probably one of my favorite games. Oh, yeah. It is a very bare bones, fun, easy to play, engaging deck building game. I love that game so, so much. Is your other favorite game Stone Age? Never played Stone Age. Oh, I thought you took our Class of 80s High survey because somebody responded and their three favorite games are Nemesis, Star Realms, and Stone Age, which I thought, oh, Chris took the survey. That's fun. Wow. Okay. We're going to get to some of those listeners because I want to hear theirs too. Yeah. I mean, Nemesis is a fantastic game. I've only played it like once. Very similar to Dead of Winter. Yeah. Where yeah, yeah, yeah. ostensibly it's cooperative, but you have your own personal goals, which might conflict with the cooperative 100%. goals. So there's it's, great. It, it's a lot of fun. The other game, I think it's one of my favorites, and it's a little surprising Dinosaur Island. Oh, you do like it a lot. Huh? Look at that. Love that game. It's totally basically, not Jurassic Park. It's totally not Jurassic Park. It is Jurassic Park. Like just the different things you have to do of like manage a staff and research DNA and build up your park and cater to visitors. It's just a lot of fun. I really enjoy everything about it. And for those of you who haven't played it before, it does try and take an 80s aesthetic. It's sort of like if Jurassic yeah. Park was in the 80s, what would it be like? So as you can assume, we do love that board game very much. That's a great game. A lot of pink and yellow and kind oh, of yeah. flashy neon, neon colors. Yeah, yeah. So good. It's, so good. It's great. So, uh, listeners, what did they say? Who cares what we like? What do our listeners like? So we said, if you love board games today, what are your favorites and why? So pick us up where we just were. Man, there's there's lots of lists here. Betrayal at House on the Hill, one of my favorites. Mm. Clank! Exclamation clank. point. Clank, yeah, and Clank. Carcassonne, like you said. Yeah. Another Carcassonne lover, Five mm-hmm. Tribes, Chess. Then someone else mentioned Settlers of Catan, of course. Yeah. We've got a card game player. What's this big one here? Yeah, Red Dragon Inn is fun just because I love D&D and drinking, and it involves both. (laughs) (laughs) Love One Night Werewolf, since it's great to play with friends at a party. Reminds me of those games I played in childhood like Mafia. Oh, loved Mafia, loved Werewolf, those fun party games, such a blast. I really like Mysterium. It's fun to interpret the cards, which are beautifully rendered, and guess according to the clues. Have we played this one? or No, we played – is Dixit like Mysterium? I've never played Mysterium, but that Dixit kind of sounds like it. Dixit's really fun. A little bit. I wonder, yeah. Uh, But those are fun. I've not heard of a lot of these games. Red Dragon Inn. That sounds kind of cool. This next classmate, I am going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to guess it's Greg who plays our theme song. Based on two of his choices. Okay. So number one is Warhammer 40K. Yeah. It said the sheer size of the universe and insanely complicated rules coupled with the need to pour hours into modeling are all appealing for me to some reason. Yeah. It's a big investment. Amazing game, but big investment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Carcassonne, like you said, beautiful, simple, and you don't know who's going to win until the very end. That's true. If you're trying to like get into it, you want to give them a shot. Catan, Seven Wonders, and Carcassonne are all like great gateways into like yeah. the bigger world of board gaming. Absolutely. Uh, last but not least, this person also says D and D. Limitless potential to create epic stories in a group setting. What could be better? I'm going to agree with you. I think that is classmate Greg. It's, uh, that's my guess. It's got to be. He took a break in music class and scratched this out <laughs> on the note and passed <laughs> and it to us. Rolled a few die. 
100%. One last one. Ha ha. I've seen that dude's video and he's 100% correct about Hero Quest. The best thing about Hero Quest. Hero Quest. Oh, like, yeah, it's such a great video out there. A fantastic video. We're going to put it in the show notes. You have to watch it. The best thing about Hero Quest. And it goes on for like five glorious minutes. It's so good. A lot of great feedback, a lot of great input. Love it, love it, love it. Totally. What else do you have for contemporary culture? So we, we asked our classmates also, what is the worst board game mechanic of all time? Now, I probably maybe I could have saved this for history class, but we've talked about so many different games. I wanted to kind of wrap up. What are those mechanics that you just don't like, that don't make any sense? And uh, here's what some of our listeners had to say. All of Battleship. It's just guessing. Why the hell did I like that as a kid? That's awesome. It's true. We're trying to outsmart each other. I, I get it, but you know, maybe it doesn't hold up quite as well as an adult. What else have we got? Uh, this person says, player elimination. There's nothing worse than losing a third of oh. the way into a game and having to watch your friends play. What a crock. It's the reason I have 2,000 hours of Civilization Six and zero hours of multiplayer. Mm. Runner-up would be losing turns, or as it's also known, player elimination junior. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's a brilliant response, and I completely agree. And that's one of the things like Nemesis. You could die early in the game, and then you just sit there while the other players play. And it's not super fun. So yeah, player elimination, not great. Yeah, in this category, I would say in our collection is the expansion to Settlers of Catan called Cities and Knights. Oh, yeah. And in that game, the most valuable thing you could have is a city. And it takes you like an hour and a half in the game to make a city. But you can burn your opponent's cities to the ground via oh, the barbarians. Whoa, okay. And when you lose a city and you don't have the resources in your hand to build it again, it can take you like another hour and a half to build it back. And you literally can't win the game without cities. It's called Cities and Knights. Right, 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 right. And, th- and that is like a friendship ruining mechanic. That's a terrible mechanic in that game. Yeah, another junior version of player elimination, I think, is also where if you fall behind, you simply cannot ever catch up and yeah. you're just perpetually behind. So yeah, it's bad. it is kind of fun when you can play some of the games where there's still a chance for a comeback. But yeah, eliminations are rough. Uh, for me, it's Monopoly. Monopoly can last a lifetime and has the ability to turn families against each other. Want to turn your family into your biggest enemies? Try Monopoly. So facts. good. Facts. facts. These are straight up facts. Uh, that darn shoot towards the end of shoots and ladders gets me every time. Oh, the giant Someone one. Said. Isn't it from 99 all the way back to one? Yeah, it's pretty brutal. That's a rough one. And uh, last but not least, the taboo buzzer. Everyone abuses the damn thing to the point you want to chuck it out the window. Four exclamation points. LOL. Completely true. true. That's another game that I don't think anyone plays correctly because they just want to keep hitting the taboo buzzer. It's a fun game, but that's a bit of a ruiner. So thank you, everybody, for those terrible game mechanics. What else do we need to clean up in contemporary culture? So a couple scraps on the floor. Five top-selling board games of 2022. Settlers of Catan. Okay. Betrayal at House on Haunted Hill. Okay. Ticket to Ride. Sure. Uh, and these two I haven't played, but I was wondering if you had. Uh, Herd Mentality. Never heard of it. Uh, I find it to be a bit of scategories, but it's basically, okay. the, it's basically the opposite. Guess the same word as everybody else at the table. It sounds a little bit like a party game, like your boulder dashes and your taboos. So. Yep. Okay. And Wingspan. Now, I learned this game from our favorite board game teacher, Rodney Smith. He's fantastic. 
those are the five big ones today. Oh, and all of those you could totally see on the shelf at Target, right? Like Target percent. is like the most accessible place to buy board really games is. these days. Like it really is. These are not games you would find at a store like that before. Settlers never. You would never find at a mainstream box store. So that's how far that game has come along. Everyone can get anything they need at Target, including a fine selection of board games. Absolutely. This is all leading to, say, the the board game market. I wanted to, to touch back on this. Maybe this is where we'll wrap up. I have a question for you, Ben. What is worth more, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas's net worth combined or the board game industry? Ooh, okay. I know this. And we'll say in 2021, like okay. current, very current. In this ranking is, I think, fourth is the United States of America's national defense annual budget. <laughs> okay. I think third is the gross domestic product of Lithuania. Okay. Second is Spielberg and Lucas combined. And number one is the board game industry. What I love is you think that Lithuania's gross domestic product is more than our defense <laughs> it's budget. than our military you silly budget. silly It's like $80 it's, trillion. Dollars, it's, but it's sad but true. I was trying to find something to compare this to, and it was a lot harder than I thought. Because if you start looking at people these days, they're worth a lot of money. It's like ridiculous. big names, right? But you could take Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, and you know what? Let's throw a little Oprah in there, too. Whoa. Combined, Whoa. those three would still not... Maybe they come close, but not quite reach the market for board games globally. Thirteen point seven billion dollar industry. That's crazy talk. That's and crazy talk. Insane. It is expected to reach a value of almost thirty-one billion dollars by twenty twenty-eight. That is Look out, not Lithuania. far off, friends. <laughs> You could, you could buy four Lithuanians with that. Look out, defense budget. Here comes the board game industry. <laughs> the board game. Wow, that's amazing. Billion. That's, that's more than double in the next six years is the projection. How many Bezos rockets can you launch with that? That's a lot of rockets. That's a that's lot, a lot of, of rockets. That's a lot of Teslas in outer space, let me tell you right yeah, now. <laughs> seriously. That's awesome. That's great. So if you have the next amazing idea for a board game, worry not. There is still a market for your wonderful, wonderful game. Just make sure it's fun, everybody, or Ben and I won't like it, and we're going to talk about it on our podcast. (laughs) All right, Ben, I think we've more than adequately covered board games in history, in the 80s to the current day. A thorough bang-up job. Go team. High five. All We've gone all over this mansion. We have covered this mansion from corner to corner, from basement to attic. I know who has the candlestick. And I think it's time time we open this envelope, Mark Confidential, and find out our rulings on board games from the 80s. Are they going to Goodwill or being carefully preserved and curated for future generations to enjoy? Oh, you know I love a good reveal. Let's find out. We've tallied up our scores. We've gone through all the victory points. We've added them. We have the final tally. We've counted up all of our cash from the game of life. We've got our stacks. The question is, board games from the 80s. How do we think they fare today? Obviously, again, we want to have a little bit of an 80s focus, but we can talk broadly because we've we've covered the entire span of human history, basically. So what are your <laughs> thoughts? Board games. Board games. I'm going to channel my inner hero quest. And say that it's a double-edged broadsword. Oh, board game okay. for me. 
I love board games. I think they are such a fun and unique and affordable way to get together with your friends. It's it's a much more inclusive way to socialize than in a lot of traditional, uh, we're going to go to a bar together after work or we're going to go golfing on Sunday. Some like specific hobby that requires a lot of talent and like hmm. skills to do or a significant amount of fiduciary wealth. Um, you know, board games are a way that you can bring a lot of people together from different backgrounds and like do something together. And typically, unless one person has played that game a lot, it's a pretty balanced even kind of night. It's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I think what's the bummer part about board games is it's kind of just like any hobby. Like the older you get, the harder it is to find people to do it with. Mm. You know, people age, their interests change. And people get really busy with life. They have work. They have kids. They have other hobbies, whatever it might be. Right. And it just gets harder and harder and harder to find a circle of people who want to play games, who want to play the same games, who can be free on the same night. Mm. It just gets harder and harder to enjoy the hobby. My wife and I have joked for many years that like board games are like a great bellwether for friendships though. Cause like there's so many people you've met who are like an associate and you're like, do we like them enough to invite them over for board games? Can we board game with these people? Yeah. Yeah. Which is true. Cause like how someone acts at a board game table is how they're going to act in all social. So you're going to have someone who's like all the, all the nice things you said, collaborative, patient, mm-hmm. creative. Um, you know, is that a friend who's going to watch out for snacks for other people around the table too? Or just eat all the snacks that are put down and not be a contributor. You know, come on. Stop looking at me when you say that. Stop it. It's a metaphor for life. Really is. And I think, too, what's double-edged with me is my favorite board games are the longest and most complicated board games. Mm. I, lo- I do really like hard, complex games, but it is not fun to study for two hours to read a manual and every time someone does something, they have to get out the manual and flip through it and be like, was this a legal move? Okay, well, when Saturn aligns with Venus, and if the moon's out, and if there's six birds instead of five in the backyard, you can roll a seven and be okay. Right. That part is not great. I don't like the teaching part. Sure. So it's double-edged. There's parts of it I love, but it's not necessarily, I find, an easy hobby to have at our age and stage of life. Yeah. My last little roundup, the games that came out from the 80s that I think still hold up today and that are a lot of fun. I like Survive is a a fun kind of resource gathering game. That's a great one. I think Pictionary is great. Despite the abuses of the buzzer, Taboo is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas others say Taboo. I went to say Taboole. And Scategories. I do love the creativity needed in Scategories. And it's a great vocabulary building game. It is. It's fun. And then games we mentioned that predate the 80s, uh, but I think hold up really well today. I do love Clue. Mm. I think Risk is really cool. I've played only Risk Legacy, and it's a blast. Mm. I like Stratego. Thank you for showing me Stratego. I enjoy Stratego. That holds up. It's a fun little game. And I do really like Yahtzee, too. I think Yahtzee's a pretty fun game. There it is. So that's how I feel about board games holding up in the future today. Okay. That's awesome. Yourself? Yeah, so... When looking at board games made in the 80s, or that were popular in the 80s, I'm going to kind of lump them together. Yeah. What we've learned and what I think we already knew is they are a mixed bag. Some were so much fun. Some were a pain to set up. Some caused fights. Some confused us to no end. But I think regardless, those games served their purpose to bring friends and family together to create an experience, something to remember and enjoy. 
the ability to disappear together into a different world, if only for a short while. And that's something magical and fun. And I think that's what's enduring about board games and why I think we had this flourishing renaissance over the past 10, 15 Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. We love the personal connection and collective fun. We all love our technology. We all love what we have at our fingertips, our phones, our wearables, our computers, our tablets, our consoles. I will never besmirch any of those things because I love them. (laughs) They're amazing and they occupy so much of our daily lives. But I think as we've all learned during the pandemic, Zoom meetings are the worst. (laughs) They are sad approximations of reality. Have you ever been to a Zoom happy hour? Sad approximations of reality. A Zoom happy hour is a nightmare. Pulls the happy right out of it. They're not fun. We're social creatures. And there's something you can't duplicate online. You want to be there sitting around a table, around a board, bogarting those snacks, drinking drinks, having fun, laughing, small conversations, big conversations, all that stuff. And the fact that board game stores are thriving as these centers where people can come together For a fun distraction, that's beautiful. I love it. It's a testament to the power of games as a social and community building activity. Mm -hmm. So that's massive. So in a surprise to no one, I think board games have, do, (gasps) and will always stand the test of time. Whoa, Shyamalan, what a twist. Look out. And as for the 80s games of my childhood, I still do play a few to these day. For sure. Uh, Hero Quest, Stop Thief, hello. Still play them. People love them. Stop Thief is some of the hardest I've ever laughed in my life. That was such a Even fun Even Life. Like, I, st- I have a game of life. I bought it recently. And it's just fun to play. It's so ridiculous. It's, it's just a great little memory. I have it. I'll bring it over sometime. Bring it, we'll play bring it. it. Let's play it. And, you know, others just kind of live on as a fun memory to revisit. They were, you know, there's something magical or charming about them, but they kind of stay in the past. And, of course, we have that other kind, as one of our dear listeners said, that can burn. And the internal hellfires, (laughs) never to be seen or spoken of again. You know who we're talking about out there. I see you. Yeah, not duopoly. Not duopoly. All right. Well, Ben, thank you for going down this little candy cane coated walkway. We didn't talk about, how about that? We didn't talk about uh, Candyland. No, we didn't. Thanks for uh, traversing the gumdrop road with me. There you go. Through the the molasses fudgy mountain. I'm always so intimidated when you do these big, broad topics like summer break. Yeah, you freak out. Or forts or sweet treats. uh, You lose your mind. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you're you're able to put a refined lens on it and take us down the most efficient path on Fireball Island before we get run over and die uh, by by a pyrocrastic flow. So thanks for that. Well, Ben, we have arrived to the, the end of this game. And at the end, we have to start a new game. So tell us, what can we expect on the next episode of 80s High Podcast? Well, speaking of what a twist, just like all this being shocked that you think board games are still good. Yeah, who saw that coming? We have a resounding twist because we have a mutual topic. And this is going to be really exciting. We were contacted back in the spring by an author and her Mm -hmm. agent... And she has recently published a novel largely inspired by the 80s, set in 1984, and would love to come on our show and talk about what inspired her to write this novel, which is the song by the Talking Heads, Once in a Lifetime. 
Yes. Which goes on to inspire the name of the novel by author Suzanne Mattaboni, who will be joining us on the next episode of 80s High. Yeah, we're going to be talking about this classic song, You May Not Know It, by the title, but I know you know it by the chorus. Alternate days go by, the water flowing down, same as it ever was. Yeah, this is a very, I mean, the Talking Heads were huge in the 80s. This was iconic. And it was a huge inspiration for Suzanne. And so, yeah, we're going to have her on and talk about this song, this amazing masterpiece by the Talking Heads. And her novel. It was my beach read for the summer. How ready are you to get into the weeds? Symbolism, character development, plot lines, themes. Well, school is back in session. Oh my gosh. I did not study nearly well enough. I was the kid who's like read over summer but didn't take any notes. And then you come back to school and you're like, oh crap. Okay, I'm going to have to pull it together. Well, classmates, you've got time to catch up with us. Yeah. To get ready. Uh, that's right. Because it's going to be the trifecta next episode of 80s High, we're going Talking Heads, author Suzanne Mattaboni, and the book and song, Once in a Lifetime. Don't miss it. It only comes around on the next episode of 80s High. I didn't say (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical! Stay radical!